This is the story of my descent into Northern California's dark underbelly and how a little boy grew to maneuver, manipulate, and eventually escape from far beyond those borders. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. Hello everyone, this is Jason Farias. Welcome to my Madness Method. You know, I, I've told all these stories and they're all troublesome, right? It's all got to do with drug dealing, drug use, horrible relationships, cheating, being cheated on. I, I mean, it's all just all this negative and ooh, this ominous story, right? But you know what I feel like is missing here that I've let get away the fun times because there were a lot of them. All of these scenarios we're getting through and I'm sharing my demise, descent, you know, whatever word you want to use this dive into a horrible lifestyle, which I can assure you, it, it keeps getting worse. You know, we started out as friends and we had a fantastic time. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the phrase, I'm down, right? Or I don't think you're down or uh, God forbid if you've ever heard I'm down if you are. But I'll tell you what, it is definitely the triple dog dare of my era, to say the least. Perfect example. I had just not known Steve for that long. We worked together. We hung out. You know, we were getting high together all the time, smoking weed, meaning. And, and we were driving down Yosemite Avenue in Manteca, heading west. And oh, back in the 90s, Yosemite had a split. There was like a fork in the road and you could either take the left to go to the freeway, right? Or you go forward and it takes you over to the industrial park that's over there towards Lathrop. And uh, we started smashing down this road. We chose the forward path. And I, I told Steve, I said, uh, hey man, you should jump these railroad tracks. And he was like, okay. I said, I don't think you're down. And he just started downshifting and then upshifting and speeding up. Unbeknownst to me, Steve had never been down this road at the railroad tracks. The railroad tracks are at the end of this road. Perhaps maybe you have this vision in your head of what jumping railroad tracks might feel like. But in this instance, um, the road pitched up and probably went up, I don't know, I'd say 10 to 12 feet to where the railroad tracks then plateaued at the top of that. And then on the other side, it kind of sharply dropped down probably 15-ish, maybe even 20 feet. So it, the road on the other side of the railroad tracks was actually probably four to five feet lower than the road you approached on. Well, as we keep getting closer, I thought he was joking with me. I start bracing myself. Bro, are you going to... Oh, next thing you know, I've got my seatbelts on. I've got one hand on the dash, one hand on the roof, and we hit this thing. We had to have been going 70, 80, something like that. And the next thing you know, we're airborne. And I mean, when I say we're airborne, we're 20 feet in the air. We're Dukes of Hazard and the shit out of this thing. Okay. Well, Steve was as surprised as I, because he had never been down that road. He didn't share that. I didn't know it. 
and his little Datsun or Nissan truck, whatever it was, this thing bounced on the far end of the cross street. Now, mind you, this road did not continue forward. At the bottom of this hill, you had to make either a left or a right because all that was in front of you was a field. So we launch, bounce on the other side of the road. Thank God there was no cars there. And the truck bounces, takes one bounce into the field. I couldn't tell you how far we bounced. But interestingly, most of my friends were really good drivers. And uh, Steve drops gears, gets it fired right back up because it died as soon as we bounced. Fires it right back up and we managed to get ourselves out of this field. And he looks at me like, like he wanted to yell at me for not telling him. And I wanted to yell at him for not sharing the fact that you've lived in this town for this long. You've never been down this road. Oh, man. So he was down that day. You know, the the phrase, I don't think you're down, that got thrown around. I don't know if I'm aging myself here, but there was a, a club called the Tree Frog in, in Modesto, California. And they used to have quarter beer night. Well, you know, a quarter for a beer. Shit, let's go. So we're at the club. You know, it was like nightish clubish if that's a description like it was kind of sports bar slash nightclub sort of just trashy hangout spot but we were there and uh we were playing some pool and and this girl was like really flirting with steve and they're getting close you know doing that whole like goofy ass like here let me show you how to shoot pool knowing damn well this bitch knew how to shoot pool and I, I'm not 100% sure where this dude came from, but out of nowhere, this guy is, like, trying to fight Steve. And and it turns out this is this girl's boyfriend that had supposedly been here the whole time. I guess he had gone off to I don't know, God knows what. He might have been in the parking lot. He might have been at the bar. I'm not 100% sure where this guy came from. And all I can remember is Chris telling Steve, hey, man, fuck this guy. I don't think you're down. And now... We're in a bar fight. Now, mind you, this was between Steve and this dude. So they was doing their thing right quick. Chris was like blocking people out like, nah, stay out of, stay out of, stay out of it. And there was somebody behind me. I was like, you know, doing the same thing. Stay out of it. Stay out of it. This is between them. And I put my hand behind me to like kind of push the dude that was pushing up on me back. When I pushed on this guy, I pushed on basically his sternum where his rib cage ended and his stomach began. Okay, so at my shoulder level, that's where this person was. So he was a decent amount bigger than me. So I panicked, and I, I picked up a bar stool, and I hit him with it. So now we have a major problem. So Chris at the time, trying to like kind of be Switzerland and just keep things cool, was like, oh, fuck it. If Jay's getting into it, well, it must be a green light. So now we're all fighting. So we get kicked out, you know, and this was back in the day when you could get in a bar fight and the cops didn't show up. The cops didn't show up unless something real crazy jumped off. We're out in the parking lot now. We're having a good time. We're, we just pop open the trunk and start drinking in the parking lot. And we're just like reminiscing over the thing that literally had just happened. I look over and the dudes we just got in a fight with, they're coming out. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here's round two. Tell me these dudes didn't come up when they were like, man, fuck that bitch. She's walking home. And these dudes started drinking with us. So here we are, just got in a fight with these guys. The next thing you know, we're all drinking together. We all go flying home. Most of us are pretty intoxicated. So we drive back from Modesto to Manteca. And I have them take 
like, let's go to my girlfriend's house. You know, her parents, she's been living with her parents at the time. Let's go there. Nobody's home. We can, we can go there and everything would be cool. And we, we pull up on the way there, my buddy Gino. Okay. He's going to come up a little more here shortly, but, but we're driving down the freeway and he's like, Oh, I got to throw up. You need to pull over. So he's got his head hanging out the window, throwing up at like 70 miles an hour down the freeway. We get to my girlfriend's house. And we're loud. And it's got to be 1 a.m. We're being loud. She comes out to find out what the hell is going on. Steve walks up. Hey, we need a towel. Gino threw up all over the car. She's trying to help out, figure out what's going on. Well, in the meantime, I slid right past her and got in the house because I knew that she had made enchiladas. And I was counting on those. So here I am trashed, right? She's outside wondering where the hell I'm at because they're all telling her the story about the fight. But I'm not with them. They come watering in. I'm in the house sitting in front of the entire tray, shirt off for some reason at this point, and just going hog wild on these these homemade enchiladas. All of that because of I don't think you're down. You know, when we started hanging around Putz's house, we used to do backyard wrestling. Okay, come on. We were in cow towns, man. Like, let's not raise our eyebrows and be surprised that any of this was void of backyard wrestling. We had this little buddy, Pee-wee. It, it wasn't an oxymoron. Like, he was a little tiny guy. We would wrestle in the backyard with a futon mattress on the ground to absorb the drops. I don't know if any of y'all slept on a futon mattress. That didn't absorb in a goddamn thing. Well, I look at Pee Wee and I'm like, yo, jump off the roof and let me body slam you. He's like, no, no. I said, I don't think you're down. And then everybody's like, oh, you got to do it. So Pee Wee climbs up on the roof. Jumps off the roof, and on his way down, I grab him by his shirt and his shorts, and I flip him, and I body slam him. Essentially, what is just on the dirt, let's be honest here. And an old futon mattress ain't ain't helping nothing. So now Pee-wee's got the wind clean knocked out of him. Again, all because I don't think you're down. <laughs> you know, interestingly, that same statement, and in a separate scenario of backyard wrestling... Uh, Pee Wee and I, we, that was our tag team. We were tag team partners because he just let me throw him around. I actually wound up throwing him through one of Putz's walls. Now, mind you, we first checked where the studs were, so we knew exactly where to throw. But I'm going to tell you what, throwing a body through drywall, regardless of where the studs are, isn't as easy as you think. But in return, because the I don't think you're down thing, the uh, trade-off was I get to throw you through the wall, you get to hit me in the head with a chair. So I was like, all right, my turn. Okay, now it, it took a while for P-Dub to, to kind of recover from that because it took me like three throws to get him through the wall. So it was his turn to hit me with the chair, right? And we, we built up these whole scenarios, you know, like, oh, this fake fight, you know, just like any old wrestling, right? There was a, uh, a script, so to say. And I was like, all right. And I handed it to him the way he needed to be holding it in order for the, for the chair to give a little when he took the shot. Well, he didn't hold it the way I was holding it. He held it the way I was handing it to him, which was now the way the chair wouldn't give at all. And he, I took the shot to the head. I still to this day have a dent in my head from where that chair made contact. Every time I feel that, I, I, I get a smile on my face. Yeah, the, the I don't think you're down. There's been girls at parties that we would generate scenarios. All right, bro. I don't think you're down to hook up with her. Now, 
we definitely didn't have females around us that were lesser than. So I just want to be clear. But the I don't think your down part wasn't, hey, sleep with her. The I don't think your down part was, this is how you have to act. Like, this is your personality. Or the only thing you can say the whole time you talk to her. Or this is the only thing that you can do to her. Or this is the only thing you can allow for her to do to you. So now there's these entire encounters with sexual partners that are scripted based on the premise of I don't think you're down. There's been fights. Steve and I were driving around with this other guy, Jason, and we drove through this neighborhood. Now, this one, I just, I can't get behind. I'll be honest with you, but it's part of the story. We were driving through this neighborhood and Jason was driving way fast and it was through a block party and, and the whole neighborhood was screaming and Steve was leaning out the window, fuck you. And Jason and Steve were definitely in the wrong. Jason turns to Steve and like, Go handle your business. I don't think you're down. I was like, fuck, man. Like, you can't tell Steve, I don't think you're down to go fight. Because the guy would literally fight a telephone pole. You know, you didn't think he was down. And so he goes back, and I'm, I'm watching this. And, and this was one of those times where I was very embarrassed to even be there. So Steve goes back, gets in a fight with the neighborhood guys that are there. It, it was pretty, pretty gross. But again, that's where I don't think you're down will take you. You know, we used to go cliff jumping up at Knight's Ferry in the foothills of California. Beautiful place. But it was always the next, who could do it, the next one, the next one. Who can go higher? Who could, like, oh, hey, we don't know how deep it is here. Man, I don't think you're down. I, I have to be honest. Like, I've proven I'm not down more times than I've proven I'm down. Because some shit, like, I'm not jumping off a cliff when we don't know how deep this water is. But I got buddies that lived, uh, but they made the jump. On the upside, though, we figured out where we could jump and where we couldn't jump because of these knuckleheads. You know, we we had some great times. We used to we used to race our cars and we would time ourselves from Tracy through the Altamont into Livermore. We would time ourselves from the Tracy Mall on the freeway until Vasco Road uh, on the other side of the Altamont. And the fastest I ever made it through was 11 minutes. I'll let you guys map that and figure it out on your own. Going through the Altamont at one in the morning at like 140 miles an hour, it's it's a pretty good time. We had pretty good jobs. You know, everybody kept a job for the most part through this, this whole adventure. Mostly everybody kept a job. And we would go to the local junkyard and we'd buy beater cars for like three, four hundred bucks. And we'd go out and demolition derby. We'd never register these things. They, they were destined for scrap. We just needed vehicles that started. And we would demolition derby up and down 99 and I-5, just destroying these cars, jumping them, rolling them, wrecking into each other. And ultimately, when the car just broke and wouldn't fire anymore, we'd just leave it there. Uh, there were times we had to push them off the road and stuff, but yeah, we'd just leave them there and take off. Racing was kind of a thing for us. We used to go out to the Stockton, we called them the Kwamis, the, the the drag races for all the Hondas and whatnot. And we used to run out there and do some quarter mile drag racing. Um, the cops would come, we'd all take off. Yeah, it was a good time. Youth well spent. Buddy Edwin had a uh, Nissan Sentra SER. It was quick, but I mean, there wasn't a lot done to it. We were actually headed to a nightclub in Sacramento one night. Edwin and I loved to dance. Like we were old school, like house party 
folks. So we love to dance. We would go and the guys we were going with, you know, Chris and Bub and Steve and whomever, they were there to try to get laid. Edwin and I were there for the music and we'd be getting nuts. We were driving up to Sacramento and we were going down the 80 one night and we're all loud talking, radio blaring. Edwin's talking to, I believe, Chris in the back seat. And I look forward. We're doing 80 miles an hour. There's a car at a dead stop in front of us. And the only thing I said was, ouch. Uh, it was really the only reaction you were going to get out of me for a car accident because I had been in so many by this point. And Edwin turns around, and I swear if this dude didn't drop gear and get that little SER sideways, get us around a dead-stopped car in the middle lane, in the middle of the night on the freeway. And we just kept it moving. No big deal. Chugging along. Cars were, were big for us. I mean, cars are big for everybody. Like, I'm not I'm not telling any kind of reminiscent story that, that's unusual for anyone. Hell, there was a time I was racing uh, Bobby down the... Livermore side of the Altamont and we were side by side he had a an old cutlass it was all souped up he had that engine done right that thing was pretty pretty sick actually and I was driving my Thunderbird and we were smashing 100 something whatever I believe it was Ken that was with Bobby riding passenger over there and he had one of those removable steering wheels on his and I swear to god you guys we're doing 100 and plus down the Altamont downhill now picking up speed and Ken hands me Bobby's steering wheel. So now Bobby's got no steering wheel, hundred miles an hour plus flying down it. Nope. Handed it back. It was cool. It, it, it felt like it went on forever, but it was probably like a split second. But the fact that this fucking guy took his steering wheel off and handed it over to a different vehicle was, uh, it was interesting to say the least. I wanted to take a break from digging into to how bad things were because it wasn't all bad. We had fun. Like, I love those guys. Those were my friends. Like, we would go out shooting. You know, Ken's dad had a, a safe full of guns, and we'd go get them, and we'd go out shooting. And, and, and it was when we pulled out guns to go have fun. And, and, and it, it all got lost somewhere within a few years we were pulling out guns to do much worse shit and i, I don't i don't want to paint a picture like oh this was all negative this we had a blast i mean it, it, as ridiculous as it sounds even the dope dealing got fun i put it and i instilled it in the team hey when you try to hide what you're doing you look obvious we should do the obvious in the obvious and and i conducted drug deals in the parking lot at the Manteca Police Department. Because who the fuck would have been looking for me there to be dealing dope? Nobody. So I'd go there. It's important to understand our influence. I used my influence ultimately for bad. And, and I think it's important to understand the I don't think you're down premise. Because we could be saying, hey, I don't, I don't think you're down to level up. Now, I get it that the language doesn't translate as well, but it, realistically, when when you can influence your friends with a statement, I don't think you're down or I'm down if you are or whatever, like this really could have been a, a much more positive. The things we were able to accomplish negatively, we could have accomplished so much more positively. I remember sitting with Chris one day and we were watching the Oscars with my mom. And I was like, hey, bro, 
let's win an Oscar. And he laughed and I laughed and I was like, but nah, really. And he goes, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. Like we were a hundred percent convinced there was nothing we couldn't do. I think about that every year when the Oscars come on because of how sure I was, we could have done it. If we just would have supported each other, if we would have just been a positive influence on each other, we could have done fucking anything. I'm telling you, my squad was some solid cats. We just needed to be positive. But we were boys. We were just little boys and we wanted to be, we wanted to be the man, I guess. We wanted to be something that we didn't understand, but we're willing to learn. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, anybody that says dope dealing's the taking the easy route has never tried to deal drugs. If you think dope dealing's fucking easy, you've lost your mind. The amount of stress, the hours, the work that goes in to not getting caught, the scary situations you put yourself in. It is not easy. Drug dealers are not lazy people. I can assure you they're misguided. They lack encouragement. They lack vision of something other than what's right in front of them. But I can assure you that with the right encouragement and with the right opportunity, there's dope dealers out there that could run this country better than any of these motherfuckers trying to do it now. And it's sad. They get pigeonholed. Dope dealers get pigeonholed. Oh, you're a piece of shit. You're garbage. You're this, you're that. But but people are making those judgments, not understanding their background, not understanding what they were pushed into, not understanding what they lack. Or maybe for that matter, not understanding whatever mental capacities that they're trying to overcome but cannot. You know, there's a lot to be said for a hustler. The shitty ones fade out quick. The ones that stick around for a while, those are the ones you got to watch out for. Because if those guys go straight, they're coming for your jobs. And they're going to do it better than you. They're going to be better. Because you don't understand what it is to hustle like that. You went to Maybe you went to college. Maybe... Maybe you did hustle. Maybe maybe, maybe you started at the bottom and worked your way up. But if you've never started from the bottom of the dope game and worked your way up, you have no idea what it takes to get that done. Maybe instead of judging these folks, you should have a conversation with them. I don't care what kind of paper you have hanging on your wall. I can assure you that those dudes out there doing it because they have to, because it's all they know, because they're fucking good at it. Those guys will teach you something. They'll teach you about heart. They'll teach you about loss. They'll teach you how to hustle. I don't think you're down to take a lesson from a hustler. That concludes this chapter of The Madness. If you're finding this podcast entertaining and you're listening along with me, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Be sure to tune in next week and let's see how crazy this gets. I'm Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. <laughs>